0: Good morning hey it's so good to be with you this morning uh, i i I travel uh, every week i'm in a, almost a different church and can I just say to you how much I love this church i mean I, I love I love the encounter God weekends I love everything. I love your church I love your staff I love your pastor. Could I say to you that you just got a great church, you've got a great staff, and you've, you've just got a great pastor. I mean, great pastors and great churches go together. So, what I, I love about Pastor Jeremy is that he's smart, he's strategic, he's a phenomenal communicator. Let me see what else he wanted me to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's good looking. Uh, he's got a beautiful wife. Uh, but listen, listen, it is a great church. So glad to be here today with you and glad to be part of the Nacogdoches campus. I was there opening Sunday. What a great day that was. I just need to ask, anybody here had COVID-19? Anybody here? You know, I've, I've not had COVID, but I got the nineteen. Anybody with me? Anybody realize that you're a pandemic eater? I'm a pandemic eater. I had, no, I had no earthly idea. And I know sometimes it's very awkward in knowing how to connect with people uh, when you come to church. And, and so last week I spoke at a church in Phoenix and uh, they had this really cool idea out in the foyer right before you walked in the door they had three baskets and each basket had a different colored wristband so uh, you would put a wristband on and the first colored wristband you could put on was a green wristband and the green wristband said hey I'm open to anything high fives hugs uh, whatever I'm handshakes I'm, I'm good the, the next wristband was yellow and it says I'm a little bit more cautious uh, if you're wearing a face mask and you're doing social distancing we can connect the third wristband that you get upon was a red wristband and it basically said this, I'm a germaphobe get away from me you spawn of Satan and uh uh, that's not exactly what it said over the little placard there. But but I really I really think that's what they were thinking when they put it there. Hey, let's open your Bible, your iPad, your phone, whatever device you use. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we want to start today uh, about looking at passion. I like to talk to you about passion. And to set the story up, if you allow me to paraphrase, starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 50. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus... Go from Jerusalem, from Jeru- go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, uh, and it's it's about a five day walk from where they live. So they live in Nazareth, and they have to walk five days one way to go to this feast of the Passover. And the scripture says, after the feast of the Passover, Mary and Joseph are headed back toward. Nazareth where they live and they realize that Joseph, they realize that Jesus is not with them. And the scripture says that they turn around and they walk one day all the way back to Jerusalem to try to find Jesus. And has anybody here besides me ever lost a child for a little bit? I mean, I, I lost my, my, when my little girl was two years old, uh, my wife sent us to Dillard's to buy a birthday gift for our son, and so I buy him a shirt, and, and so I'm holding little Carly's hand, a little blonde hair, blue eyed thing. I'm holding her hand, and we we get the shirt, and we walk up to the cash register, and so I got the shirt, and I got Carly, so I gotta let go of something, so I let go of Carly to get my wallet and pay for the shirt, and by the time, come on, by the time I, you know, you ever done that? You're looking for. Her. By the time I'm, she's absolutely gone. And so I said to the lady at the cash register, "Get security, shut this place down." I said, "I, I honestly, I did this. Stop shopping. <laughs> Listen, we're not going anywhere till we find Carly. Because you know, you ever had that? You know that sinking." That sickening feeling. And, and so we, we spend the next, the longest 10 minutes of my life looking for my little two year old. And guess what? She's playing hide and go seek. She, she's tucked up in the middle, you know those round shirt things? She's popped right down in the middle of that thing. And when we finally found her, you know, I hug her, I kiss her, and I, I pull her close, and I pull her up, and I look in her eyes and I say, Carly, do not tell your mother. Just don't tell your mother what happened here. I bet bet Mary is walking fast back to Jerusalem to find Jesus. And with each step, I'm sure she's getting a little bit more distraught. And the scripture says they walked all that day and they searched for Jesus all that day. All the next day they looked for Jesus. Now the third day, Jesus has now been missing for about 72 hours. And the scripture says they retraced their steps and lo and behold, they find Jesus sitting on the temple steps, talking with the church leaders of the day. And the Bible says that when Mary and Joseph see Jesus, the Bible says they were amazed. Now, can we just put pause just for a split second there? I don't know about you, but if my 12-year-old son had been missing for 72 hours and I find him in a town... Five hours one way away from where we live, when I find him amazed, is not going to be the word. Come on. It's not going to be the word that runs through my mind. But the Bible says, Mary said to Jesus, Jesus, baby, why have you done this to us? And here, the very first words ever recorded out of the mouth of Jesus, Jesus says, Mom, why are you looking for me? In verse number 49, he says, don't you know that I'm fulfilling my passion? King James says it this way. Don't you know, Mom, I must be about my father's business. The very first word Jesus talks about is fulfilling his passion. And then verse number 50, Luke adds this for all of us who have preteens. Luke says this. And Mary and Joseph did not understand one word. Look it up in the Bible. That's what it says. They did not understand what Jesus was saying. This story is rich with content about passion. So real quickly, I'm going to give you two points of passion. Here's the first one. Passion perplexes people. Passion perplexes people. You see, when you do something at a moderate level, we call that a hobby. Anybody got a hobby? When you do something at a model, you get a hobby. But when you put all of yourself into it, so much so that when people see you doing the thing that you are passionate about, and they think to themselves, that person is one step shy away from being crazy, that's passion. Because passion makes you do things that, that just other people don't get. Let me give an example. Billionaire David Rockefeller, he's about 100 years old now, he's worth about $3 billion. He's the oldest billionaire alive. He's a passionate collector of beetles. Now, I'm not talking Volkswagen beetles, I'm talking about the bug. When he was seven years old, he picked up a large brown beetle, took it home, put it in a glass jar. Fast forward 93 years forward, now he has in his home over 90,000 beetles. Come on, that's just weird. That's a perplexing passion. But Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, says this, that Jesus' passion was reaching people who were far from God. In fact, in Luke 19, he says this, I have come to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus' passion was about lost people. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus loved lost people so much that in Philippians 2, verse number 7, the Bible says that he left... The very splendor of heaven. In other words, Jesus left the place that all of us are working so hard to get to just so that he could come to earth and spend time with people. So it doesn't really matter where you pick up the story of Jesus' life. It's always about people. It's about sick people, crazy demon-possessed people, dead, stinky people, people in the sex industry, hungry people. In fact... Jesus was so passionate about people who were far from God that his followers, they were just simply perplexed by his passion. In fact, they were so perplexed by it that they were always trying to hijack or distract him from his passion. Let me give you an example of that. There was a group called the Zealots. Anybody heard of the Zealots? The Zealots were a militant group of Jews, and they wanted Jesus' passion to be about creating an organization that would overthrow Rome who was occupying Jerusalem at the time. The crowds of people who always followed Jesus everywhere he went, they wanted his passion to be about healing and to about performing miracles on their behalf. The religious leaders of the day, they wanted Jesus' passion to be about guarding and protecting the highly structured religious organizations that they were a part of. You see, everyone... Everything around Jesus in the Bible, and it even says in the book of John, that even the devil tried to distract. You remember the temptations? The devil tried to distract Jesus from fulfilling his purpose. And so everyone, everyone was trying to hijack, sidetrack, and distract Jesus from fulfilling his real purpose, which is spending time with people who are far from God. As Christians, the same is true for us. I mean, the media, culture, our employer, even the devil, and sometimes even the church. Everyone seems to be shouting to us, hey, you need to be passionate about this. You need to be passionate about this. This is the most important thing. But can I tell you that you and I are never more like Jesus Christ than when we focus our time on people who are far from God. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to do the things that Jesus did. Uh, Being like Jesus is not wearing a cool Christian t-shirt, although that's really cool. Being like Jesus is, is not putting a cool Timber Creek logo on the back window of your sanctified Chevy pickup truck, although I'm sure it's cool. Being able to recite the words for every single solitary Christian song on your playlist does not make you more like Jesus. What makes you more like Jesus is when you are passionate about the very things that he was passionate about, about focusing your life upon reaching people who were far from God. So whatever you do, don't let anyone hijack or sidetrack or distract you from the single solitary passion that consumed every waking moment of Jesus' life from the moment that he had cognition to the very last breath that he took upon the cross. Building relationships with people who are far from God, it's it's just not a means to an end. It it is the end. It's the way that we demonstrate our passion for God. It's the way that we partner with Him in fulfilling His mission. It's the way that we create a culture of connecting people to God. It's the simple explanation of why Jesus left heaven. Jesus came to earth to intentionally connect with a small group of people to write their names into the story of eternity. Everything Jesus did was to fulfill that purpose. In fact, even before he performed his first miracle, the Bible says that he had identified 12 guys that he was going to spend the next three and a half years of his life with. Uh, They were... Knuckleheads. You know what a knucklehead is? It's like the person sitting beside you. They're, they're just a knucklehead. Now, they, they like to fuss. They like to fight. And, and they didn't seem to be getting what Jesus was talking about. But in fact, Jesus, in spite of all their limitations, Jesus gave himself to them. He, he ate with them. He spent time with them. He poured his life into them. And, and if you read the scriptures so often, it's really easy to get caught up in all the big things that Jesus did. We'll focus upon the miracles and we'll focus upon the the multitudes and the throngs and the crowds. But you and I will forget the most important thing to Jesus were the twelve. The twelve were his real focus. In fact, they were so important to Jesus that the Bible says that Jesus regularly left the crowd. He regularly left the multitude to go spend time with the twelve. Can you imagine that Jesus actually stopped healing people to go eat with his friends? He would cut his sermon short. How many of you think that's a good idea? Okay, He would cut his sermon short just to go spend time with his friends. In fact, that's just illogical. It's just a perplexing behavior. So why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew that to write the disciples, into the story of eternity, he must intentionally focus on a few to impact the many. Let me say that one more time. Jesus focused on a few to impact the many. Let me ask you a rhetorical question to which the answer is always no. You ready? Was it the crowd who saw the 30 some odd miracles that Jesus performed that changed the world and the answer is now you Now, you should have already had coffee this morning. So the answer is no. Hey, it's amazing how that works. Was it the 5,000 people who ate the fish and the loaves that really changed the world? And the answer is no. Was it the people who followed Jesus' itinerant ministry, listened to him preach and teach all the time? Were they the ones who changed the world? And the answer is no. You see, the people who changed the, the story of eternity... For the entire world were 12 guys that the religious leaders of the day had overlooked. But Jesus didn't overlook them. He put all of himself into them. He gave them all of his passion. He held nothing back. You see, Jesus changed the world by intensely investing in a few people. And those few were transformed by the work of God in their life. And here is the most important thing. And what God had done in them, those 12 now allowed God to do through them. I don't know what your strategy is for reaching Nacogdoches for Christ or reaching Luffin from Christ, but can I tell you that you should do it the way Jesus did. It's about intensely focusing on a few people And allowing what God has done in us to now allow God to do through us to others. See, not only is passion perplexing, but number two, passion requires action. At the close of a church service, Orville Harrison was kneeling at an altar and he felt impressed to take a piece of paper and write the initials JW on it. So he did it and he put it in his wallet. I mean, he knew... In the small town that they were living in, he knew who JW was. And in the words of the Eagles, uh, JW had a nasty reputation as a cruel dude. He was a bootlegger, he was a whiskey runner, and by all accounts, he was the single, solitary, meanest guy in the entire town. But that morning at church, at the altar, God asked Orville, a thin, college-educated accountant with wire rim glasses to become friends with a hard-drinking, hard-fighting sinner by the name of JW. Over the next seven or eight months, Orville and JW became friends and spent more time together. Orville bailed JW out of jail at least twice. He took him to the hospital to get stitches where he had been in a knife fight a couple of times. And after one of those trips to the hospital to get sewn back up, he asked Orville, he said, Orville, why Why is your life so different from my life? That night, Orville Harrison led J.W. to faith. Several years later, J.W. married Orville's youngest sister, Maggie. Three years later, J.W. and Maggie moved from Oklahoma to Odessa, and they plant their very first church. Eighteen years after that, J.W. sends his oldest son off to Bible college because his oldest son feels called into ministry to be a pastor. Four years after that, he sends his second-born son to the very same Bible college to become a pastor. Five years after that, I was born. You see, J.W. Harper is my grandfather. And Orville Harrison wrote our family's name into the story of eternity. He focused on one and had had a huge impact upon many. Orville changed the spiritual trajectory of everyone in my family. And to be honest with you, there's not one person who comes from my father's, my grandfather's line that's not a committed follower of Christ today. Why? Because what God had done in Orville, Orville now allowed God to go out to someone else. Decades later, my grandfather's telling me the story, and he's telling me about the card. I'd never heard the story. He's telling me about the card that Orville carried in his wallet, and, and he's telling me about his spiritual transformation, and he kind of gets this, kind of gets this excited grin on his face, and, and he reaches into his wallet and he pulls out a little white piece of paper that's folded and he opens it up and he shows me three names of people that my grandfather is trying to write their name into the story of eternity. You see, passion requires action. It required it of Orville. It required it of JW. And it requires it of me. In my wallet, I carry a card. It's got three names on it. It's been ripped and torn, and I've taped it together and done everything I know to keep it together. It's got the names of three people that are that are far from God. No, no, they're nothing like my grandfather. They're not wild and crazy like he was, but nevertheless, they're still far from God. They don't go to church. And in fact, uh, there's no one in their family that's a believer, but my family, we were just very good friends with them. So let me take just a moment and tell you about the first person on this list. Their name is Clan Sherry. Clay and Sherry live right next door to us. They are our neighbors, and they are the most amazing neighbors in the world. We absolutely love them. So what we decided to do as a family is that we decided to pray for Clay and Sherry and the other people on our list every day during our family devotional time. So every day we pray the four same things over each one of those family members. Number one, we pray that God would show himself Reveal himself to Clay and Sherry in a real intangible way. Secondly, we pray that God would soften their heart toward the things of God. Thirdly, we pray that God would give us as a family the opportunity to invest in their lives by meeting a physical need. Fourthly, we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us a nudge, an inkling, let us know when it's time to plant the gospel seed in their life and invite them to our church. Now listen, that fourth one is really important because this isn't just a strategy. It's the, the scripture says in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. So it's just not about us doing nice things for our family and friends. It's about creating an environment where the Father himself draws people to himself so we've been praying for our family and friends our friends for a while and we're at dinner one night and my son says to me connor he says dad did you know that mr clay's lawnmower is broken it's in the shop and i was like dude that's awesome guess what bubba you get to mow their yard so after dinner, we get out, and he's mowing their front yard. They live on about an acre and a half of land. He's mowing the front yard. I'm in the back with the weed ear and my headphones on, and I'm just jamming away. And, and I hear someone yelling over my earbuds, and, and I pull my earbuds out, and it's Clay. And Clay is saying to me, Mike, what, what are you doing? He goes, I mean, he goes, I know my yard looks bad, but my, my lawnmower's in the shop, and it'll be out in just a couple of days. I promise I'll take care of it. And I said, Clay, we're not mowing your yard because it looks bad. I said, how can I teach my son how to be a good neighbor? Come on. Right? How can I teach my son to be a good neighbor? And more importantly, how can I teach my son to be a good Christian if we don't take care of the people that we love? Clay looked at me in the eye and said, Mike, no one has ever done anything like that for me in my entire life. A few weeks later, it's, it's coming up on Easter, and our church is gearing up for Easter. And so during our family time together, I said to them, do you guys, do you think it's time for us to invite Mr. Clay and Miss Sherry to church? And my daughter, who's about eight years old at the time, she said, no, Daddy, they don't love Jesus enough yet. Well, what she was saying in her own way was, the Lord hadn't softened their heart enough yet. It's, they're just not ready. But my son said, Dad, you know who is ready? He goes, it's Luke and Jackson. They're two boys. So we agreed to invite them. So we went and asked Mr. Clay and Miss Sherry if Luke and Jackson could come to our children's church service where our church is going to have 10,000 Easter eggs dropped from a helicopter. Okay, now that's not a hard sell, Right. I mean, these guys jumped all over it. So we invite them to church. They come with us. And after that Easter Sunday morning service, my son says to me, Dad, hey, do you know what happened in church today? And I said, what? He goes, Luke and Jackson gave their lives to Christ. So for the next year, Luke and Jackson go to church with us all the time. We continue to pray and invest in their parents. And you know, things go on, and finally Christmas comes around. And so we're going to invite them to a special service that our church has where it is a conglomeration of the Blue Man Group merged together somehow with the Little Drummer Boy. I don't know how it works, but it does. And, and I thought it's a, perfect, it's a perfect thing to invite Clay to because he's a wannabe musician, and he could really use some help. Because he practices in his garage at midnight. And so we thought this might be a good help for him. So, so we invite them, and you know, and they kindly turn us down. So we keep on praying. We keep on investing. Kind of like a farmer. After he plants the seed, he keeps watering it. We water it with acts of kindness. And well, Easter's coming back around. And, and so this time, Clay and Sherry accept our invitation to come to church with us. And... We're really, come on, we're really excited. So that morning about seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock, we get a text message that says Sherry is sick. So we're disappointed. and So we keep praying, we keep investing, and then after Easter is what? Mother's Day. So we're thinking, come on, Mother's Day. I mean, seriously, free photos, free food, free flowers. What mom's not into that, Right so they're going to go with us and at the last minute Sherry cancels on us again well we pray and we keep investing and after Mother's Day is Father's Day finally after a year of praying and investing in their lives Mr. Clay and Miss Sherry decided to go to church with us so uh, even though we live next door to each other they didn't want to ride with us they want to drive their own car so we get there, they follow us, and we pull up into the parking lot. They get out of the car, and the very first thing I notice is that Miss Sherry, she must have been really, really nervous about coming to church because she hit, she hit the bottle hard. I mean, she's she's tipsy. And so, you know, what do I do? I take her to the coffee shop. And I order this, like, quadruple, quadruple, double mocha, coffee, espresso, big, huge thing. Because if she's going to be tipsy, she might as well be awake, right? (laughs) And so she's tipsy, and she is jacked up on caffeine. And so we sit on, like, the third row at the church service. and, And as our band, like, our band's awesome, like, your guys' band is awesome. And as soon as they start the music, Sherry thinks she's at a rock concert. And so she jumps up, and I mean, she is going for it. And the only thing that she's not doing, she doesn't have her Bic lighter out, right? And so I'm like, I'm in shock. And so I look down at my wife and I go, so we both get up. I mean, in the best way that we can do it, man, we were going for it right there with Sherry. It was the most aerobic worship service that I had been in in a long time. And after the worship the pastor, he delivers this amazing message. And at the close of the service, like every pastor says, he says this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm thinking to myself, uh-uh. <laughs> not, not today, big boy, because I'm a peeker. Are there any, any, come on, any peekers in the room with me? Yeah, I knew I was in the room with the peekers. Listen, I've been praying, Right? I've been praying for these people for a year. We've been investing in their lives. And so, I bow my head and I got my hands on my knees and I start praying and I say, "Oh God, oh God, would you please let this be the moment? <laughs> oh God, would you would you write their names into the story of eternity today? Would this be the day that their life is transformed like my family's life was transformed. And they don't lift their hands. And I mean, I'm obviously a little bit disappointed, but but I know that God is I know that God is working in their life. And so over the next years, Clay and Sherry go to church with us really frequently. And and, and I know, come on, I know that it's just. Right? It's just, it's just a matter of time. I mean, the proverbial spiritual deck is stacked against them. Here's how I know it's going to happen. Luke, their oldest boy, he just finished his third year at Bible college where he's planning on being in the ministry. I mean, listen to me. It's just, it's just a matter of time. You see, you and I are never more like Jesus than when we focus on spending time with people who are far from God. Passion requires action. It required it of Orville. It required it of JW. It required it of me. Guess what? It requires it of you as well. On the outline that you were given this morning, there's a bunch of blanks. and What I want you to do is As Pastor Cody comes, I I want you to know that I've been praying for this moment ever since Pastor Jeremy asked me to speak to you this morning. Because here's what I know. Someone, somewhere, prayed for your family when your family was far from God. Someone prayed that God would reveal himself to your family Someone prayed that your family's heart would become soft and tender and open to the things of God. Somebody prayed that God would give them the opportunity to invest in your family's life with an act of kindness. My friends, I don't know who God used to write your family's name into the story of eternity, but I do know it was somebody just like you. Just like you. And what God had done in them, they allowed God to do through them. So in your outline this morning, I'd like for you to grab a pen and I've been praying that the Lord was going to drop some people's name into your heart. And I'd like for you to tear it off and put it in your wallet. And every time you pull out your credit card to buy something, you would see that little piece of paper with those names on it. And you would be reminded to pray for these people. Someday, I'm going to go to heaven. And when I'm done spending time with Jesus, which I don't know how long that's going to take. I imagine it's going to take a really, really long time. And when I'm done casting my crowns at his feet, and I'm going to start walking. I don't know if we're going to walk, if we're going to float, if we're going to fly, if we're going to, like, teleport. I don't really know how what we're going to do. But I'm going to put into the GPS in heaven Orville Harrison because I want to meet that guy. I've never met him. He died before I was born, and I've only seen pictures of him, little frail, thin, wired-rim accountant. But I want to tap him on the shoulder, and I want to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for investing in the life of my grandfather. Because of you, the whole trajectory of our entire family has changed. I don't know where I'm going to be. But I, I, I can't wait because I, I believe it's going to happen. I, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and they're going to go, Hey, are, are you Mike Harper? And I'm going to say, Yeah. And they're going to say, Well, I, I thought you'd have more hair than that. Or, or I thought you'd be taller or something. And, and I can't wait for them to say, Thank you. Thank you. I'm the great 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 grandchild of someone that you prayed for and you carried their name and because you invested in them because you prayed for them. Our whole family has changed. When that happens, you're going to hear a woohoo from me. And my prayer for you is that when we're in heaven, I hear you go. Oh yeah. That was me. I I don't know who wrote your family's name into eternity, but I do know this. What God did in you to get you to this moment, God now wants to do through you to the lives of others. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for Orville that... He didn't just keep Christianity to himself, but he followed your example and poured himself into the lives of someone who was far from God. I thank you for the people that invested in us to get us here. But now, Lord, I pray that Timber Creek Church would not just be a great church because it's got a great worship team, it's got a great staff, it's got a great pastor, but would Timber Creek be known all over heaven as a church that is filled with people who are completely and totally consumed with reaching people who are far, far from Christ. Would it be full of men and women who what God did in them, they now choose to allow God to do through them. And we ask this in the mighty name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and everyone said a good hearty